stay with the coach. Day 20 Radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com from Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natiel. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be taking a peek at the latest in Pokemon news, discussing the world of Pokemon art, spotlighting a marine mammal Pokemon, and presenting some very different teams. So sit back, relax, and give your radio Rotome what it wants. Well, it has been an interesting week in Pokemon for us, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. <laughs> we got we actually got um, an update from one of our favorite listeners. Yes, our listener Josh said that after listening to last week's episode, he thought we should mention that Golurk's devolution punch also has the additional side bonus of ruining an evolutionary chain, because if the Pokemon hit with Devolution Punch doesn't have the HP left to endure the hit as a devolved Pokemon, it faints, preventing the opponent from being able to reuse the higher stage evolution card. And also you get to take a prize card. It's true. (laughs) I think Golurk is a little bit overpowered. Maybe just a little. (laughs) It's no wonder everyone wants to get their hands on him. It's very true. I was kind of puzzled when everybody was just like, must have all the Golurk. And I was just like, oh, okay, why? And then I just found that out. So I have to wonder how much Golurk is going for on Troll and Toad right now based on that crazy stuff. I don't know, but... Oh, he is going for like zero. He's going for 59 cents. 59 cents. <laughs> That's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I know, right? Considering that some of those cards just, you know, even just your, you know, hollow rare, you know, they aren't even full art or anything. Some of those are running like $15. Yeah, yeah. And even like things like the Pokemon catchers are running for way too much money right now. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be uh, just substituting in blank cards for catchers because that's... I don't know, $50 for four catchers is outrageous. Just a little bit. I'll bide my time on those. Maybe I'll pull a couple. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, I guess really the only thing that I've been up to in Pokemon this week is that I've started planning a uh, UUNU rain dance team. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's kind of fun because I've been looking at a lot of these... Uh, UU and you Pokemon that have some really interesting abilities uh, that go with weather, but because they are in that UU and NU tier, 
throwing them on a team with Politoed is a terrible idea because they just can't compete on that OU level. That's true. So I've been looking into the logistics of doing a rain dance team and just, you know, having my dedicated rain dancer along with some other interesting Pokemon that have, you know, hydration or swift swim or whatever. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be fun. I've been looking at well, right now my my big my big one is Dugong. I'm looking at Dugong, but there's there's other interesting Pokemon out there for weather teams that, you know, don't don't ever get to see the light of day, and I'm kind of excited about this this little team that I'm building. Indeed. What have you been up to? I have been looking into some are you an NU Pokemon that are ghost, bug, or grass type? Ooh, grass type Pokemon never get used. Indeed, which is why I've been trying to look through them and see which one of the which ones of them I would like to use. I mean, I would eventually like to build a Scolipede. Uh, I oh, also Scoliopede is sweet. Yeah, and I would also like to make like a Lilligant and. You know, I would like to make a Whimsicott. I haven't made a Whimsicott yet. Which... Oh, Whimsicott is... I, I had a Whimsicott, and it's not very good. It needs a reread. Yeah, and then there are a couple of ones from first gen that I've never had before that I would like to have, too, like a Victory Bell or an Executor. And I don't know, it's just... There are Pokemon that I've looked at, and I've just been like, you know what, those would be cool Pokemon to have, and then I never bred them. Right. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. I mean, I've just been kind of scoping out some new Pokemon to use, you know, Ariados, you know, maybe if I so choose to do it, the Morotome, or maybe one of the (laughs) Wormadams, you know, one of those. Oh my god, you should totally do the Morotome. (laughs) I should, probably should. That would be the sweetest thing ever, because nobody pays attention to any of Rotom's forms that aren't Wash Rotom. It's very true. I refuse to do the fan Rotom, though, because it is <laughs> pretty much the epitome of Redundancy? Overkill. Yes, redundancy. That's a good word for it. I have all the... I have, I have all the prevention of ground attacks ever. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. No, that's really cool, though. I mean, it's it's exciting for us that we're starting to be, you know, looking at breeding new Pokemon, because it's been a long time since you and I have done any serious breeding projects. It's very true. I've been pretty focused on the TCG for a little while, and now it's like, well, now that I kind of know what I want to do for a couple of decks, now I'm going to look back at the video game. Well, even before Dragons, Dragons Exalted came out, our, our big thing was Conquest. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's kind of nice to be getting back into that groove where I just, you know, sit on my couch and breed 5,000 eggs. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, well, let's head over to the news desk and see what that has for us this week. Sounds good. Well, as it turns out, it's a very light news week this week, but we've got a few things that we want to talk about. First up, uh, the Caldeo event has officially started for North America. For American gamers at GameStop or Canadian gamers at EB Games, you can now receive a Caldeo over a wireless connection at both those stores. 
This legendary Pokemon is at level 15 and carries a PP max and can learn the signature move Sacred Sword if you take it with Terrakian, Cobalion, and Verizian to the Moor of Icarus. However, upon waiting until Black and White 2, trading over Caldeo and teaching its Sacred Sword there will unlock its Resolute form. This event will run until October 6th for North American players, so pick yours up now. We've also got autumn-friendly registration opening up on September 6th. Open to all non-Japanese players, the online tournament will be open to all players with a copy of Black and White. There are 50,000 spots, so be sure to sign up early. Registration opens on September 6th and will continue until 1 minute to midnight on September 13th. Participants will be split up into the junior, senior, and master classes of competition based on each individual's age. It will follow standard double battle rules with the Pokemon Mewtwo, Mew, Lugia, Ho-Oh, Chatot, Celebi, Kyogre, Groudon, Rayquaza, Jirachi, Deoxys, Dialga, Palkia, Giratina, Theon, Manaphy, Darkrai, Shaman, Arceus, Victini, Reshiram, Zekrom, Kyurem, and Keldeo being blocked. It's a pretty long list, but it's not the longest list ever. There are still some legendaries that they're allowing in. It's true. And looking at this list again, I'm reminded at how many legendary Pokemon they are, there are in Sinnoh. <laughs> I mean, just, right? just looking at that, it's just like, well, there's... First gen, second gen, third, oh, there's Sinnoh. <laughs> All of the Sinnoh. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's true. Uh, the limited edition Pikachu 3DS that we talked about in the last episode actually sold out in a single day. Yeah, after only one day of pre-orders in Japan, the limited edition Pikachu 3DS is completely sold out of units. Wow, those Japanese people are insane. It's so crazy. I mean, one day, one day of pre-orders and they're gone. I kind of wish we had that sort of, like, hype for Pokemon over here. Right, that would be intense. It would be. The final update for the Pokedex 3D released for all international regions on August 31st. This update unlocks all available Pokemon, alternate forms, and the six special Pokemon that could only be obtained by scanning their AR markers, which can be obtained by Spot Pass. The Spot Pass support for the Pokedex 3D will only remain active until January 31st, 2013, so be sure to update the program if you wish to complete it. I think I'm still missing one form. I think I'm missing one form of Sawsbuck. Yep, you and I are both missing one form of Sazbuck. Curses. And then, yeah, I think that's... I think that's everything. I think I'm missing the winter form of Sazbuck. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're both missing the same one. Yeah, because we had that massive trade-over of data. <laughs> when I finally got my 3DS. It's true. Oh, it was awesome. But yeah, I'm glad that they finally released that, and you're able to at least complete it. So... Totally, totally. So that should be that should be pretty awesome. And then you know when the Pokedex 3D Pro comes out, we'll just be doing the whole thing over again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The the 3D Pro will totally overshadow the just the regular Pokedex 3D, but you know, I'm 
just going to finish the Pokedex 3D anyway, just because I think it'd be awesome to just finish it. Oh yeah, I'm totally a completionist, so it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty sweet to finish it off and then be ready for the next one. Yep. And that actually wraps up the news desk for this week. There was very little in Pokemon news this week. And I think with that, we are going to head over to uh, this week's main topic. An intrinsic part of the Pokemon world is the art that goes along with it. From official art seen in guidebooks, to the sprites in-game, to the art on every single TCG card, art within the Pokemon world is vital in helping us visualize these amazing creatures. For today's show, we wanted to take a look at how Pokemon art has changed in the past decade or so. And we thought that we would start off with sprites. Yeah. Because those are probably the most recognizable form of the Pokemon. True story. Back in the in the late 90s and the days of red and blue, technology was extremely limited, and the space available on those old Game Boy carts was also extremely limited. And as such, graphic capabilities were just as limited as everything else in that gener- in that generation of video games. So a lot of these early sprites are kind of painful to look at now. <laughs> Yeah, I remember first, well, of course, when I was playing Yellow, it was just like, oh man, this is the coolest thing ever. And then, <laughs> right? And then, you know, I'm looking at my sprites moving around and having animation on black and white, and I'm just like, wow, how did I ever get around the sprites from Yellow version? But. Yeah, it's it's not even just, you know, because, like, some of the sprites back from those early games were were okay. I mean, like, the the Sandshrew sprite was pretty sweet-looking. Sandslash looked pretty nice. But there were were two examples that I brought up that I just really felt like we needed to talk about. And the first was Wigglytuff. Yeah, the Wigglytuff was a little weird-looking. Wigglytuff got, like, literally no love until way late in the in the series of games. I mean, Wigglytuff in the first generations of sprites was short and fat and really lopsided. Yeah, he's he's a little sad looking. Just a little bit. Just a little. The other one that I wanted to to mention from those first generations of sprites was the original Golbat sprite. Yeah, the Golbat was always a little scary is probably the best way to describe that i mean like when we when we look at pokemon now like scary usually isn't the word that comes to mind but golbat was terrifying i mean his sprite was as big as like charizard's sprite and he was leaning off at this weird diagonal angle and his tongue is hanging out of his mouth and there's actually like little spit drops coming off of it yep it's it's Kind of terrifying. He Just, looks like a vampire. <laughs> like a vampire that's all mouth. I know, right? Oh, it was terrible. And, you know, while some of the sprites, like you said, do look pretty good, I mean, there are some in here that, you know, this was like 
super intense Pokemon sometimes because, I mean, the sprite for Ghastly was kind of freaky. I mean, the three ghost Pokemon, I mean, they were just terrifying when it came to their sprites. Haunter looks like he's going to eat my soul. I know, right? He's... I mean, 100%. Oh, also, I know you've never cared for this Pokemon, but looking back at the first-gen Mr. Mime, Mr. Mime actually looks even creepier in red and blue than he does in black and white. Yeah. I know, right? Just... Oh my god, I, I, had, I had really tried hard not to look at Mr. Mime, and now I have to again, and blah. See, and he, the only thing that I can think of when I look at that is he looks like the claymation Mr. Mime from the cards. Oh gosh. I know, he's just, yeah, but some of these... Some of these sprites, man, they're intense. Like the Cloister, he's looking like he's going to just blow everything up. And How about the Polyrath, who looks like he's just about to slap somebody? I know, right? He's <laughs> just like, come here. I don't know, it's... Yeah, and the Sand Slash looks really awesome. The Nitto... Uh, the Nitto King looks pretty awesome. The Nitto Queen, she's a little more subdued, but... You know, both of those look really awesome. You know, the original the... Arbok is pretty sweet looking too. Oh yeah, definitely. So I mean, like it, you know, as far as this first generation of sprites is concerned, there there were some hits and there were some pretty huge misses. Yeah, there were. But in that first generation, there were also some other. There was another system that really sort of pushed that limit. Yes, and that would be the N64 with Pokemon Stadium. And Pokemon Stadium was really awesome, especially for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other uh, U.S. audiences, because, you know, you were able to have that one uh, cart, that one game reader that you could plug into the bottom of your controller, and you could play, you could either play the original red, blue, or yellow on the on the big screen, which was really awesome. Or you could migrate those Pokemon over to uh, Stadium, and then you could play them on there. And the really unique thing about Stadium was it actually rendered them all in 3D models that actually looked realistic. They, I mean, they had their own colors, they had their... They were proportioned correctly, I mean, and they could, you know, move around and, sh like, shoot fire out of their mouths. And it was just mind-blowing the difference that there was indeed although it was it was so funny when you said big screen I, I couldn't help but think of back in the day when you know a 14 inch screen was the big screen <laughs> i know right that was about how big my tv was and i'm pretty sure that tv was made with like 1960s technology and i was just like wow that's you know thinking back you know that tv got me through a lot but you know I, it makes me appreciate my TV I have right now a lot. True story. Uh, the second generation of games, when we started getting into like uh, gold and silver and crystal, actually introduced the concept of colored sprites in the handheld system. And while this was a substantial improvement in many respects, some Pokemon still had a really strange look to them. Yeah, I don't know, the... This you got to understand though. This is early tech, and you know they they're going to have you know trouble. They're going to have the growing pains trying to fit these really awesome images like from the anime into a little cart. 
And well, yeah, and it was a substantial improvement for many, many Pokemon. I mean, the second generation Golbat is miles and miles ahead of where the first generation Golbat was. And a lot of the second generation Pokemon also were really, really amazing looking. I mean, like your Sentret, your Furret, your Steelix, they were all super, super amazing. But Wigglytuff you know, still kind of looks a little bit weird. Yeah, just a little. Poor, I mean, wi- poor Wigglytuff. Yeah. The one, I think the one sprite overall, though, that I think got the most improvement was the Slowbro sprite. Because in first gen, he looked like he was licking the weird, like, tail cloister thing that clamps down on there. It looked like he was licking a giant uh, snow, a uh, giant ice cream cone. <laughs> And now he's now it actually looks like it's not just like some weird thing that he's enjoying the frosty taste of, and now he's actually looking like oh man, see it's attached to my tail. This is how that works, guys. I'm, I'm a legit Pokemon, guys. <laughs> but yeah, some of these sprites actually look really good, and you know it's one of the kind of things where you appreciate the the technological upgrade because it makes them all that much more realistic. And just the fact that the Game Boys could play in color was mind blowing. Well, yeah. And you, when you look at these, you, you sometimes forget how, how big of an improvement this was. I mean, it's not just like suddenly now we can, you know, see the difference between red and green and blue. I mean, if you look at the difference between Chansey and Blissey, there are differences in just the shades of pink that they're putting into this game. It's true. So, I mean, there there were some really substantial improvements. And to be honest, I think one of my favorite sprites from this series is um, the the, uh, Moltres sprite. Yeah, the Moltres looks really, really cool. Because back in in this particular day, they did Moltres' flames like the smoke that comes out of coughing and wheezing so that it didn't have, like, lines on it. It was just sort of, like, fuzzy flames, and I thought that was so cool. That is really awesome. I'm always... I know a lot of people aren't, you know, particularly hooked on... Zapdos, but I really loved Zapdos's sprites in the first couple generations of the game. You know, some people are just like, oh, but he's, you know, the worst looking of the legendary trio. But, you know, I actually kind of liked how Zapdos looked. I liked his design in those first couple of generations of Pokemon. One of the other sprites that I really love from the second generation is Espeon's sprite. I think that as far as the evolutions go, Espeon is like the coolest looking out of these out of these um six sprites. He's much, much more purple in second gen than he is in any of this any of the other successive generations. Oh definitely. And and in this gen he's got such a regal look to him. Yeah, it's true. As he's opposed- just kind of hanging out there and he's just like, well, I'm Espeon, I'm pretty much awesome. You know, what else you what else can I say? I'm so. pretty much the best thing ever. <laughs> One sprite though that I think is awfully weird looking is you know, it's it's not super weird looking, but just the color is the Tangela. I mean he's he's not like, you know, a plant he's not like a plant green, he's like this weird turquoise. Oh color, yeah, yeah. Like super neon turquoise, and it's just like, whoa. 
He's like, he's even more neon than the uh, Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, Venusaur sprites. It's true. And, you know, it's actually almost a little tough to look at because it's that (laughs) bright. But, you know, it's, you know, it's a good thing that the sprites have come a long way. And, you know, some of these uh, characters, you know, their colors haven't changed a whole lot. But, you know, some of them you can definitely see a noticeable difference from you know, where they were in second gen to where they are in even fourth gen. I mean, just the, uh, for Alligator is of a totally different shade and color than he was nowadays. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I will say, though, the, uh, this evolution of Cyndaquil, uh... Typhlosion? Typhlosion. He looks a whole lot better now than he did then you know really his design hasn't changed a whole lot but his color has and it's just amazing what we can do with the technology nowadays when it comes to color in video games so that you know they look a bit more realistic and just better overall yep yep uh and then you know after after that second generation uh we moved into third generation and third generation gave us for the first time these sprites that actually started to achieve a solid look all across the board. Pokemon were gaining solid proportions. They were being portrayed at interesting angles that were done in ways that didn't make them look like they were constantly off kilter, like that first Golbat sprite. It's true. And, you know, third gen was what I ran into right after yellow. And, you know, some of the sprites from there, were really really good looking. I mean, I, I, I absolutely hated the, uh, the Mighty Enas just because I mean the Pokemon that I had couldn't quite compete with Dark types. But I will have to say that the sprites for many of those third gen Pokemon looked amazing. It's true, and you know by this point in time, technology had advanced substantially, which gave the artists working on these games more freedom to work with, and the technical and the technological means to implement things like actual shading, not just color. They were able to do shadowed effects on sprites and include minute details that would have otherwise been left behind. Indeed. Like, uh, when, I, when I'm talking about minute details, I'm talking, like, for instance, on the Haunter sprite, where the Haunter has a red glow around his hands. I know, that is so cool. It's absolutely intense. And these, these generations of sprites have really, like, the difference between second gen and third gen is astonishing. And a huge and part day. of... Hmm? Night and day difference. Absolutely. And a a huge part of that is because at this point in time, we've moved from the Game Boy Color to the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, that's true. And just that that change in system made all the difference. And this this particular set of sprites contains a few of my favorite sprites of all time. I mean, the Mew sprite from the third generation of sprites is my favorite version of Mew in any of the games. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. The Mew here looks a whole lot better than most of them that have been portrayed. I don't I don't like the Mew in the most recent generation of sprites, but I love third gen Mew. I think she's absolutely adorable. I don't think I've ever seen the fifth gen Mew. Was it just difference in color or No, they've they've they're portraying her like standing more upright and um her tail comes down back behind her. It's it's weird. Oh. 
I don't well, care for it. I suppose. I I will say, and it might just be because of, you know, bias on this, but just because it was the first generation I saw it in, but the Rayquaza sprite from third gen, I think, is probably my favorite out of all of the sprites of Rayquaza since, just because I think it looks really cool how it is, and... You know, I know a lot of people are just like, well, all the sprites get better over time, but, you know, I've seen the Rayquaza sprite in 4th gen, and it was okay. And 5th gen was okay, too, but I liked 3rd just because of how it curled around itself, and, you know, it's just an amazing-looking sprite, and I'm really glad that they put the detail in it that they did. Oh, see, that's totally legit, because I think that um, the Flygon sprite from 3rd Gen is my favorite of the Flygon sprites, too. I'm going to have to look. Yeah, the Flygon sprite looks really awesome there, too. I really I really love the uh, the 3rd Gen Flygon sprite. I really love the 3rd Gen Raichu sprite, too. Raichu looks really awesome in 3rd Gen. Uh, but, you know, even, even in this generation, there were still a few Pokemon that had a couple of issues. Uh, for instance, Corsola is really, really weirdly shaded. Oh, man. Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of in that same vein as the Tangela from 2nd Gen, uh, in which we had that weird, vibrant blue-green. This time we have, like, a pink that is even lighter and more crazy than uh, Muse pink. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that. So I mean, like even even when we've gotten to this point, there are still some Pokemon that do have a, a couple of issues. Well, and you know that's you know that's probably just a poor choice on some designers, you know, decision there because I mean, you know, all the rest of these sprites they they do look very very good. Oh, absolutely, and you know, like we we mentioned about uh, Pokemon being portrayed at. Um, at interesting angles, and the first one that comes to mind for me for that is the Butterfree. The Butterfree. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this Butterfree is not being portrayed just head-on at, at this point, and even though it's not being portrayed head-on, it's got the depth that makes the Pokemon look like it's actually in that position, as opposed to being this sort of weirdly, hastily drawn, flat thing that they just tossed up there. When it comes to angles, I like the Waylord. I mean, looking oh. at the Waylord, you you really get the feeling that that thing is just massive. It's true, it's true. He's He's got the appropriate angle to give the appearance of being much larger than the sprite actually is. I mean, he he literally looks like he weighs about 17 million pounds. Another really interesting one as far as angles is concerned is the Lickitung, actually. Wow, that is actually pretty cool. Yep, the Lickitung and the Hitmonlee both have a really, really neat uh, sprite angle that they've been given. And I, I really, at this point in time, I, I really began to appreciate how they were portraying the Pokemon. I was just old enough to start to understand that this was probably something that was important, as opposed to back when I was playing Red and Blue and Yellow and... It didn't really matter to me that the sprites were crazy because this was Pokemon and I was 10. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, the Hitmonlee looks really, really cool from the way he's portrayed because, I mean, he's in midair and he's got the foot popping out 
towards the player when they're viewing him. Yep, he he is mid-kick, and he is coming for you. (laughs) And, you know, it's things like that, really. It's, you know, it's just small things that they really changed. And those small things are what really affect how, you know, how impacting the picture is, like the Metagross, when it has... You know, it could, they could have drawn it in a slightly different fashion and it would have been okay, but when it's got that first big leg just pounding down in front of him like that, you know, it's just like he's, it's almost like he's walking towards you or around and you get that feeling that, yeah, that's how he would move and, you know, it just feels all that much more realistic despite the fact that you're really looking at a non-moving sprite. Indeed. And... You know, those it's those small changes that really define the next two generations of Pokemon sprites. I mean, when you move into the fourth and fifth generations of the games, we've seen even more technological advancements, allowing for more complicated Pokemon designs, and in this generation, moving sprites. And, you know, the, the last two generations of games have really just continued to improve on the, the small details in the sprites. Shading has gotten better, color has gotten more solid... Pokemon have become, you know, the the sprites have become clearer and more defined. And in my opinion, that's totally awesome. It's true. And, you know, in this last generation, I remembered from, you know, way back in the day when we were just like, oh, Pokemon black and white, they aren't going to be nearly as good as Heart Gold and Soul Silver. And arguably, you know, one way or another, they still have their benef- they still have their positives and negatives. But I know one thing that a lot of people argued about was how when the sprite the, how the sprites actually looked less defined when it they moved from fourth gen to fifth gen. And, you know, in a way I can sort of see that they do look slightly more pixelated in black and white than they did in Heart Gold and Soul Silver, but that's because, you know, they're moving. I mean, there's a whole lot more going on with that particular image than just them standing there. Because, I mean, when you play Heart Gold and Soul Silver and, you know, the the image will move a little when they initially pop out. But other than that, you know, they are just able to just sit there and be still. And when you've got a still picture, you don't really have to worry about you know, any other program trying to make, trying to manipulate the image at all, you know, it can just stay there and look amazing. And to that end, really, the fourth gen sprites probably looked the best in terms of just clarity. I mean, the Gyarados sprite was really amazing and rather terrifying, actually, in a good way in fourth gen. And in fifth gen, you know, he's moving around a little and, you know, sure, he's a little more pixelated, but still, you know, just the fact that they're able to move now is amazing. And I can't wait to see what they do if sixth gen comes out. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I guess really the the last thing that I wanted to mention before we move out of our discussion on sprites is that, like, some of these Pokemon have undergone drastic changes. And I think the most drastic of all the changes that a Pokemon has gone through has been Pikachu. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, first generation Pikachu was short and fat and almost round. Yeah, he was. 
And with, with each subsequent generation, he has actually slimmed out fairly substantially. I mean, when you look at his sprite now, he's, he's a fairly, you know, he's a slimmer Pokemon. He's much more in line with the real life Pika that he is based on. Yep. And, you know, the, I don't know if it was just their decision to do just because they wanted the outdoors, you know, kid to not have this fat little Pokemon just hanging around <laughs> with them all the time. But, you know, it's, you know, I take a look from, you know, where it was in the early designs of the sprites and even in some forms of the manga. And I look at him today and I appreciate how he changed. I really do. It was just, it was super substantial. Like, the the change was so drastic for Pikachu. I mean, some of the Pokemon have gone through other changes. I mean, like, we've talked about Golbat's change and Wigglytuff's change, but nothing really touches how much Pikachu's sprite has changed over the last decade. It's true. He lost, like, 25% of his body weight. <laughs> At least. So, yeah, it's just really interesting how they were just like, well, it's, you know, well, I suppose he's their mascot, really. He's the mascot of Pokemon. So, you know, to keep up with this, you know, idea of trying to still make him a viable mascot, they would have to change him up just a little to make him, you know, I, I guess I don't really know what idea I'm looking for. Maybe to make him look more physically fit. Yeah, I, I suppose in in some ways it was it might have been you know this idea that maybe you know the fattest Pokemon in the game is not the appropriate mascot for us to continue with as we are starting to create more games and an anime and the manga is really taking off and there's going to be feature films you know yeah maybe at that point they they thought that it was time to dial back the fluff indeed <laughs> tune him up a little and make him a little you know, less like you could roll him down a hill or something. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, the, the next thing that we're going to talk about as far as Pokemon art is concerned is actually, it's not a very long topic, but we're going to quick mention the official art. Um, official Pokemon art appears on anything that Nintendo Game Freak puts out. This includes every image that we include on the Pokedex project to all the images you find on posters and in game guides. And these images really capture detail and angles that game sprites simply leave out, especially in earlier generations. Oh, yeah. And while some of the early, early game art, or even official art that they came out with still looked kind of weird as opposed to today, it really hasn't changed a whole lot. You know, you were able, you're able to appreciate the changes from the first generation of video games all the way to the fifth, really a whole lot more than any changes from the very early, you know, concept art that they had to now. I mean, to in all when all things are said and done, it really didn't change too terribly much. See, I'm I'm reminded of the uh, that Pokedex book that came out before uh, before Gold and Silver came out. And I still have my copy. And the the art in this was, like, crazy, mind-blowingly unbelievable in comparison with what I was seeing in the sprites in-game. In yeah. And the, the images that they portray in that book are much closer to the images that they portray in the anime. So they were, they were even different than what is considered, like, official art that we put up with the Pokedex project. And... 
I mean, the, being able to, you know, have this while I was playing was crazy, crazy awesome. And, it, you know, it, it had such an impact on me that I've kept it for the last 10 years. That's awesome. It was also the first time that I had ever been exposed to Togepi. Oh, really? Yep, yep. This came out just, like, about about a couple of months before the episodes with Togepi started appearing in the anime. And it was before second generation games were announced even. So it was it was kind of like this crazy thing where everyone was like, oh my god, this is a new Pokemon! <laughs> Which was pretty awesome. I know, right? The next thing we wanted to talk about really was the TCG art. And when you look at the cards from like the very first base set all the way to today, the art on the cards has definitely evolved over the years, just from the original sets that essentially had the Pokemon on flat and really featureless backgrounds. I'm reminded of the, of the old Holofoil sets from the first printing of these cards, which were basically stick the Pokemon on there and have a really shiny, like, starry background. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And now we have these incredibly elaborate cards that even when you don't consider any of the foil ones, you know, they're, they've got these amazing background arts that they're projected onto. You know, I'm thinking of, well, what's a really good one to use? Like the Lucario that had that immense like cityscape behind it in the, I think it was Noble Victories set. Yep. And then we have these full art cards that have, these incredible just mural-like backgrounds that have the entire Pokemon taking up the entire card, and they have this weird texturing to them that makes them really interesting to hold and touch, and it's just mind-blowing how they've evolved since then. It's really true. And, you know, it, it's even beyond the idea that the cards themselves, that the card art has evolved as a whole over the years, TCG art has also changed between all the various artists who have done work on the cards over the years, particularly when you compare card artwork done by the master, uh, Ken Sugimori, and that of one-shot artists who did work on sets like just the Team Rocket set. The Team Rocket set was interesting. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I'm think I'm reminded of the cards like the nightly garbage run that they had on there, <laughs> like where it had that weird, like surreal, like weird technology thing just running around and picking stuff up, and you know it was just you know it was bizarre. I wasn't quite sure how to feel about it when I was buying the boosters for it, and I would open it up and I'd have that kind of imagery looking at me. But, you know, some of the cards like the Dark Blastoise or the Dark Charizard looked really, really cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there there were some of these cards that, you know, had amazing art on them, even in these older sets. But they were typically the ones that were done by the quote-unquote masters of of Pokemon art. It's true. I mean, like, for instance, the, the Dark Alakazam was one of the ones that was done by uh, Ken Sugimori. And that particular card is really kind of interesting because it's playing with a a light source that comes down from the little marker that says evolves, um, evolves from Kadabra. 
Nice. And so it's like there's this light source coming down from that little thing, and then it um, envelops Alakazam, who is surrounded in this sort of a, a purplish psychic glow. And I, it's it's a really it's a really cool looking card. It was very well thought out and very well done. It's true. And but we've really seen a lot of weird fads when it comes through on Pokemon cards. Oh my gosh, there have been some really weird fads. It's true. Uh, probably the one that I found that was the weirdest besides the Team Rocket set was the actually the second base set, and that was you know they had these weird cards in there that had like a CGI sort of style to them. And, you know, you had a lot of those on the trainers, you know, like you had the weird plus powers and the switches where it was obviously, you know, some CGI had been put into it to make it look that way. But you had cards like the Ghastly from the second base set that just looked weird. I know, right? I mean, you could, his, like, eyelids were, and his, like, eyeballs were, like, popping out of his, like, body, and I was just like, I'm not sure if I appreciate this at all. <laughs> uh, for for me, like my weird, my big weird uh, fad that I saw the Pokemon cards go through was this weird claymation style of artwork, where all of the Pokemon, like the Pokemon in the cards, looked like they were made of clay and then photographed and then put on the card. Like That's- I'm. I'm remembering this uh, this specific Ditto card uh, that was pretty pretty insane. He like and like that that Ditto card was like one of those ones that um, oh you 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 saw the Pikachu card that MJ just got recently where the Pikachu's face is the Ditto's face. Yes. See those those are the cards that I'm talking about with this whole weird claymation stuff. Yeah, and some of those cards were. I know, again, I'm sorry to keep bringing it up, but I have a Mr. Mime card that is in that weird claymation style. And he's he's pretty intense looking, is probably the best to describe that. And, you know, it's it was just kind of one of those things where you're just like, huh, this is strange, but okay, you know, it's Pokemon, you know, I guess I'll run with it, but... Yeah, so I mean that's those those were some some of the weirder um the weirder fads that the TCG has gone through. But you know, as far as the TCG art is concerned, that that was sort of only limited by the artists and the designers themselves because the card art could do a lot of things that the video game art just couldn't based on the fact that they were able to use physical media in order to draw their stuff. It's true. You didn't have any of the flat, featureless pictures, really, that you had in the red and blue version. You didn't have any of the, you know, art that was limited by technology. I mean, you could just, you know, they pretty much went back to basics and used, uh, you know, pens and colors and produced the Pokemon exactly like you would see them in the anime or in, like, your guidebook that you had. I think that's like that in and of itself is a huge part of the reason why I so obsessively collected Pokemon cards when I was growing up, because looking at them was so interesting. When I was little, I never actually learned how to play the Pokemon game because the boys that also collected the cards didn't want to teach me. <laughs> well, but jerks. I know, right? But I, I still collected them, and uh, when I collected them, 
I was constantly amassing more and more of these cards because even though I couldn't play, I could sit and look at them for hours on end. That's kind of weird because I would sort of do that too. (laughs) I didn't much play it because my brother was sort of getting out of that phase where he was just like, well, I'm not going to do this because Sam likes it, so it's not cool. But, well, then he was also the sports fanatic too so but yeah it was kind of one of those things where you could just i would just walk over to the barn and hang out in the hayloft and just look at my pokemon cards and that's something that i haven't done in an extremely long time like now when i get cards i'm i'm more interested in their functionality and how they work in the tcg i think maybe i should you know take a step back and just spend some time looking at these cards again Well, I don't know if that's entirely true, because when you made your last deck, I mean, it was pretty much all entirely the reverse foil, the reverse foils or the, you know, super shiny, pretty cards that you had in there. So I think maybe you appreciate it a little. It's just a little more subtle this time around. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Does that mean all the shiny electric energies ever? Oh, I am very proud of the fact that all of the energy in my deck are the shiny electric energies. (laughs) Yes, and they they do look fantastic. Your deck just, like, shines everywhere. <laughs> the last thing that we're going to talk about here, as far as Pokemon art is concerned, is actually fan art. Yes, and the art styles differ greatly from the, from the video game, trading card game, animated series, manga, and it's because, really... The people who do these these representations of Pokemon and the characters within the continuity really have the freedom from constraints due to, you know, the corporate standards or, you know, just, I don't know, just having to keep in line with the rest of the continuity. Indeed. I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, kind of standard tropes as far as fan art is concerned. Um, for instance, a number of Pokemon artists on sites like DeviantArt have attempted to illustrate what they would consider real-life Pokemon, or Pokemon as they would appear if they could be found in the natural world. Some of those look really, really awesome, too. Some of them do, and some of them are really disturbing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would agree with that. Like, I, I know one that probably looks really awesome and really disturbing at the same time was the uh, the scene somebody drew of red versus blue and the Charizard versus the Blastoise. And both of those Pokemon just looked angry. I mean, those were some of the angriest looking Pokemon I have ever seen in my entire life. Right. And then I'm sure what you were talking about when it comes to disturbing was that uh, Gengar image, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That one is so terrifying. Oh yeah. That Gengar image was terrifying i no no it's it like that's the kind of thing that populates the nightmares of you know 25 year old pokemon fans it's true that's <laughs> the kind of thing that you imagine if you're outside in the dark somewhere it's just like oh man that thing's hanging out around here gengar's gonna get me gengar's gonna get me <laughs> no it's it's genuinely terrifying it is genuinely terrifying Featured in the manga series Pokemon Reburst, many artists have attempted to humanize Pokemon, drawing them as they would appear in human form. This humanization can actually be broken down into two different types. And the, the first is Pokemorphs. Pokemorphs are actually anthropomorphized Pokemon that, you know, maintain 
most of their actual Pokemon form just standing in a bipedal form instead of in a quadruped form. The other type of humanization are called uh, Gaijinkas, which are essentially humans dressed in costumes meant to capture the style, look, and essence of a Pokemon. And when you see people cosplaying as Pokemon, which is, you know, another form of fan art entirely, typically what they're doing is going the Gaijinka route. And there, there are actually some really crazy, awesome collections of people that have drawn all of the Pokemon out as Gaijinkas. And I'll probably include links to those on uh, show notes this week because they're, they're really, really awesome. They do sound really awesome. They are really, really cool. And, you know, some of them have inspired me to do cosplay outfits that I, I would really love to do later on. Like, one of the ones that I really want to do is a Kyogre cosplay. That would be awesome. Because I've seen I've seen this Gaijinka art of this uh of Kyogre drawn out as a, a little girl wearing a, an outfit and it's so crazy cool. That's awesome. <laughs> For any viewers of the WordPress site, you will know the art style known as minimalism quite well, as we put minimalist Pokemon in our site banner. The style is characterized by the lack of detail in the image, instead relying on simple lines and broad use of color to show off the image and carry its meaning across without really all the intricacies and bells and whistles of their normal design. I really, really love the the minimalist Pokemon art, and the, the ones that we actually use on the site are actually part of a massive collection that includes every single Pokemon and every single Pokemon form done in a minimalist style for uh, computer backgrounds. And they all look really amazing. They are. They are really, really insanely intense. And we'll, we'll probably throw up a link to that particular collection as well. I have the entire collection just sitting on my, on my laptop, and sometimes I'll cycle through them and find a good one for my, for my background. Indeed. All of the links. All of the links. <laughs> and honestly, fan art is so unbelievably vast that there's no way we can highlight every amazing piece of fan art out there or even every amazing artist out there. So on this week's D20 Radio Forum talk topic, we would love it if you would come and share some of your favorites with us. I know for a fact that Sam and I probably have some of our own favorite pieces of fan art that we're just dying to share with you. Indeed. Welcome to this month's double team segment, where the lucky Pokemon that we designed two different teams around is the Scrafty that was voted on and selected over the last month. And for our double teams, I was going to start out with mine, which is a fifth gen only team based around Scrafty, Cofagrigus, Archaeops, Whimsicott, Galvantula, and Sigilyph. I'm just going to say right now that Archaeops is a very interesting choice, and I'm excited to see what you've done with it. <laughs> the first Pokemon that I was going to detail was the Scrafty. It was going to be a bulky physical sweeper that'll be running Dragon Dance, Crunch, Ice Punch, and Drain Punch. Fairly standard set. 
Uh, dancing on a switch or a non-threat to improve Scrafty's speed and attack power always goes over well, considering that he's got much higher defenses than he does offenses. And, you know, the Crunch, Ice Punch, and Drain Punch give Scrafty excellent attack coverage. And with all of my Pokemon in the underused or lower tier, Scrafty will really hit every single Pokemon pretty much in his tier for at least neutral damage with those three moves. And I don't know, Scrafty's just got brilliant type coverage. I think he's the only fully evolved Pokemon that has a dark and fighting base type. So, you know, he's just an amazing Pokemon. Um, The Scrafty really is meant to be a late game sweeper, though, not a lead in the lead position, Scrafty will likely have a much harder time trying to set up with threats to him being out and about, especially the lead Pokemon who are going to be running attacks like Encore that will lock you into Dragon Dance, and then you have to switch him out anyway. For an item, if not running leftovers on the whims on the whimsicott that I'm going to be describing later on, Scrafty is a potential candidate for the item leftovers. And if Whimscott will be running leftovers, then Life Orb is also really effective for ratcheting up his damage output at the cost of lowering his HP every turn. The other Pokemon that I have here is Kafagrigus. And he's going to be my physical wall and anti-fighting and normal type. Kafagrigus will be running Shadow Ball, Haze, Will-O-Wisp, and Rest for now. But when Black and White 2 come out, I would totally swap out Rest for Pain Split. Oh, absolutely. Now, Kafagrigus is a potent physical wall and has an insane level of defense and immunity to fighting and normal attacks, which quite a few of the... which, well, especially for fighting-type attacks, a couple of my Pokémon would not very well appreciate. The uh, Haze attack on him will take Boosting Sweepers or Baton Passers down a peg, while Will-O-Wisp will simultaneously extend Kafagrigus's survivability and cripple any physical attackers that this team won't be able to handle particularly well either, especially when it comes to the Archaeops. Now, Rest and Chesto Berry will help Kafagrigus uh, stay healthy and make him harder to break because he'll be able to just rest off any paralysis or toxic or burns that he might himself take. And with Shadow Ball, you know, that's his token offensive move that will prevent total shutdown by taunt, and it'll work off Kafagrigus's base 95 special attack, which, while not being great, you know, can still dent somebody a little if you got them up against the right person. The only problem with that is that he'll also get walled out by normal types. So, you know, you kind of have to take it as it comes. The other Pokemon is the Archeops, and he's going to be my physical glass cannon and pivot. And Archeops will run U-Turn, Earthquake, Stone Edge or Rock Slide, and Acrobatics, and will hold the Flying Gem. And the reason I have him in here and basically have him be running as my pivot is that he's got really good stats to work with, and he's got a base 110 speed, which makes him a fantastic hit-and-run cannon and pivot for the team, because he can ultimately run U-turn and be able to get out of dodge and be able to avoid really what holds him back the most, and that's his defeatist ability. 
And the reason I have him out there and probably to just kind of hit and run and do a whole lot of damage while he can is because after his HP drops down to 50%, drops down to under 50%, I'm sorry, his defeatist ability activates, which halves his attack and speed, I believe, which will hurt him to no small end when it comes to his ability to be able to inflict damage upon opponents or really to any extent be able to be effective on the team anymore. And when using the Archaeops, I was going to use him as a revenge killer or as a means to an end to mop up weakened opponents or hit hard for the stab flying gem boosted acrobatics blast that he'd be able to unleash upon opponents. Next up is Whimsicott. He is going to be my rage inducer. Uh, Whimsicott will be running Leech Seed, Encore, Stun Spore, and U-Turn. And the Whimsicott really is there to be a jerk. I mean, with defensive investment, he'll essentially work to paralyze any threats that need paralyzing and slow down an opponent's roll when they're trying to build up momentum against me. And I was basically planning on using the Encore to lock in any attackers that might be trying to use boosts, uh, use Stun Spore to paralyze any opponents that I might need to, any fast physical sweepers, that sort of thing. And Leech Seed, especially, is lethal on Whimsicott. And really, you could swap out sun Stun Spore with Substitute and make it a really, really durable Pokemon to just sit out there and just laugh at you as he drains away all your HP. And Big Root, I thought, would be nice for Leech Seed, but Leftovers, like I said earlier, can also work really well on Whimsicott. The Galvantula is up next. He's going to be my special glass cannon. The Galvantula will be running Thunder, Bug Buzz, Energy Ball, and Volt Switch. And Galvantula is really another Pokemon that will hit hard and run for the hills when outclassed, just like Archaeops. Thunder is... I is preferred over Thunderbolt due to compound eyes making Thunder's accuracy something close to 90%. I think it's like 91.25 or something, just some really obscure number. Um, Bug Buzz will hit Dark types really hard, which Sigilyph and Cofagrigus will both appreciate. Uh, Volt Switch lets Galvantula get out of danger in a hurry, but Ground types will be able to block his escape, unlike the incredible usefulness that is U-Turn. And I figured I would put the Grass Gem on Galvantula just to improve the power of Energy Ball, because it's the one attack that he has that he won't be getting any stab off of. And it would be really nice to hit any UU water types that might be out there, like the Melodic, or maybe even Pokemon like the uh, Swampert, who would take quadruple damage from the grass-type attack, but would take no damage from Thunder. And we come to Sigilyph, which is last Pokémon on the team. He's going to be my bulky physical sweeper and really probably the most effective uh, status passer that I have. He's going to be running Roost, Psycho Shift, Air Slash, and Cosmic Power. And Magic Guard, as his ability, prevents Sigilyph from damage from conditions, so having the Flame Orb on him will be able to allow me to take a burn and then pass, Psycho, 
pass the burn off via Psycho Shift to cripple a whole lot of Pokemon. Now, Air Slash was one of the moves that I considered, the other one being Psychic, but when you when I thought about it for a little while longer, Air Slash is probably superior to Psychic and really maybe even Stored Power because, you know, Air Slash is able to hit everything and, you know, to super effective, you know, not very effective, etc. But the dark types who would otherwise laugh at Sigilyph when he's trying to use Psychic and they're totally unaffected by it makes Air Slash a better option. Uh, Roost helps heal off any residual damage that he'd be taking, and Cosmic Power especially makes the any fairly average Pokemon into a brick wall, and this will make him easier to use each turn in battle, and we'll be able to have him set up and maybe even sweep a whole lot of Pokemon, paving the way for the uh, Scrafty. That is a pretty solid team. Thank you. I was I was really kind of excited about the idea of a Grass Jam Energy Ball Galvantula, because I know you said that you know he would be able to do some serious damage to bulky water types, but at the same time, you also mentioned that he is going to be stuck out there against ground types because he'll have Volt Switch removed from him. But he's Galvantula is going to be way faster than almost every uh, ground type Pokemon that you'll see in those tiers. It's true. So that that Grass Jam boosted Energy Ball is just going to wreck them. Indeed. That's, you know, I got the idea actually from Josh to do that. And, you know, it's, when you think about it for a little while, it's an amazing idea to have. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people see Galvantula and they think electric and bug and... You know, sure, he's going to be taking some damage from uh, Entry Hazards, which is something I unfortunately didn't plan for, really. But as long as I can keep the momentum on this team going, I think that I should be able to do enough damage to be able to ignore the effects of the, like, Stealth Rocks, especially completely. Because I think the only Pokemon that'll really take, you know, the super effective damage from Stealth Rocks on that team would be the Sigilyph, the Galvantula, and the, I think, maybe the Archeops? No, I don't think so. Rock and Flying? Yeah, because Archeops should take neutral damage from it, because his rock typing should... Nope, nope, maybe he would take super effective damage, because I don't think rock resists rock. That's true. So yeah, he would take some super effective damage from it too. But I mean, as long as I can keep them out as long as they can, and you know, arguably these Pokemon will be able to use and will be able to put out an incredible amount of damage, especially the Archeops. And you know, I just looked it up, and you know, my pardons defeat at defeatist actually has attack and special attack, not speed. But you know, even then the Archeops running Earthquake, Stone Edge, and Acrobatics with Flying Gem, most of those attacks will be potent enough really to, if not one-hit KO, severely dent an opponent right off the bat. And if you've got Rock Slide out there, you also have the chance to flinch them, which can only make Archeops' life a lot easier. See, and I love the idea of using this Archeops as that pivot with U-Turn, because he is so much speedier than most of the other Pokemon on your team. I mean, Galvantula outspeeds him, but a base 110 speed is, is intense. I mean, 110 is what my Manectric is. 
Yep. And um, yeah, the Archaeops is something I've wanted to use for a while. I mean, Josh has been the only person I know of who's actually run an Archaeops because a lot of people see that defeatist ability and they're like, nope, done. So The other really awesome thing that I, I really, really love about your team is this Magic Guard, Psycho Shift, uh, Sigilif. I think like Psycho Shift is one of those moves that you never see in competitive play, ever. So I think that, you know, being able to pass on these burns, essentially like you've got Will-O-Wisp, but way more accurate, is crazy. Thank you. Yeah, and one thing that I did notice about the team as I was creating it was I have a lot of status passing that I have going on here. I have the priority uh, stun spore, the Will-O-Wisp, and the Psycho Shift. But, you know, I think especially in UU, I think it's a little more important to have a number of status passers on your team if you're going to be running that route, because with the Sigilif, if he gets taken out, then you at least have the Galvan, you at least have the Whimsicott or the Cofagrigus to be able to keep passing on those statuses. And really, a lot of my Pokemon would probably appreciate those burns and the paralysis a whole lot more than probably a lot of other Pokemon would, because, I mean, we've got the Scrafty, who would be taking a whole lot of damage, even from even with his defenses, from a stab fighting attack. He's He wouldn't resist the fighting based on his typing. Then you've got the uh, Archaeops, who would not appreciate any damage of any kind. And then the Whimscott, you know, he's he can be defensive either way, but he still doesn't want to be taking a whole lot of damage if he can avoid it. Indeed. So that's my team. All uh, right, I guess I guess that means it's my turn. Indeed. My double team, I am like I I know last month I did sort of like a kind of fun name for the team and all the Pokemon, and I kind of carried that through again. That's that's probably one of the most fun things about this for me. <laughs> This this month's double team for me, I am calling the One-Two Punch. This team is all about raw power and doing as much damage as fast as possible. It's an all-out offensive front, which is, of course, what fighting Pokemon are good at. And I opted to choose a mono fighting team in the true monotype style, no two wild cards here, and create a non-stop onslaught of massive damage. Nice. So starting off with our main Pokemon of the month, I've got my Scrafty, who I have called the main event. Scrafty is going to be running his uh, Moxie ability and is going to be holding the Life Orb. And the set that I've got on him is Dragon Dance, Drain Punch, Crunch. And then instead of Ice Punch, I actually opted for Stone Edge, just for a bit more hitting power. I see. Um, again, just like your Scrafty, he's going to want to D-dance on a non-threat or, you know, another setup move to get his free D-dance off. Because after that Dragon Dance, he is going to be an unstoppable force. And then after a couple of Moxies, with the, the idea is to use Crunch at first to get that stab and, you know, get those Moxies off. And then after that, Drain Punch is just going to be stupid, crazy powerful. And then he's going to be healing off damage that he's taking as he's been dragon dancing and using crunch. Indeed. Um, the other Pokemon that I've actually got on my team include Hitmonchan, Lucario, Breloom, Metacham, and Poliwrath. 
So these are the five Pokemon that I've chosen to support my main event Scrafty. And we'll actually start by looking at the Hitmonchan, who I have called the Wing Clipper. Because nice. because this team has a substantial weakness to Flying-type Pokemon. And on those lower tiers especially, Flying-type Pokemon are everywhere. Oh, yeah. So this team needed an ability, it needed a Pokemon that was going to be able to deal with Flying-type Pokemon. And as such, the crazy speedy Hypnonchan with a Choice Scarf is the way to go. I have opted to Choice Scarf this Hitmonchan and give him his Iron Fist ability, which ups his uh, punching moves. And I've given him the moveset Thunder Punch, Ice Punch, Fire Punch, and Close Combat. So that takes care of Pokemon that would not only resist Thunder Punch with Ice Punch, because, you know, you've I've, I've got to deal with Dragons eventually, too. So the Ice Punch plus that Choice Scarf gives me the option to deal with them, as well as Thunder Punch and Ice Punch both being super effective against Flying types. Good plan. The Fire Punch is there in case I get uh, walled out by, like, a... Well, especially, like, a, a bulky Grass type. I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah, I can think of a couple that would do that. Yep, so I've, I've got Fire Punch there for them. And then Close Combat is his, you know, big stab option in case I just need him to pop out and do a crazy amount of damage and then run away again. Coming up next, we've got the Lucario. My Lucario is my special surprise. Because, as it turns out, fighting Pokemon are much better at physical attacks than they are at special attacks. <laughs> but... And so I, I didn't want to run the risk of getting walled out by a special by a physical wall. So what I've done is I've given Lucario a, a special set. And not only have I given him a special set, I've given him the choice specs to boost. So my inner focus choice specs Lucario is running the moveset Dragon Pulse, Vacuum Wave, Psychic, and Focus Blast. I mean, Focus Blast gives him a crazy... I mean, I could have I could have gone with Aura Sphere. I thought about going with Aura Sphere. But Focus Blast's raw power is so much greater than that of Aura Sphere. <laughs> it's true. So I, I opted for Focus Blast over Aura Sphere. Um, Psychic is going to help me hit any other fighting types that I come across. Vacuum Wave gives me priority. And Dragon Pulse is Dragon Pulse. It's true. I mean, Lucario is an amazing Pokemon in that he can do almost anything you need him to do. And for me, this month, it just happened that I needed him to put on the choice specs and murder every physical wall ever. <laughs> um, up next, I'm going to talk about my Breloom. My Breloom is what I am calling my sleeper agent. He is running uh, the, the obvious Poison Heal Poison Orb ability and item because it's it's too good to pass up. When you have a Pokemon that has the ability for Poison Heal or the ability for Magic Guard, you typically don't say no to those abilities. It's true. And uh, the moveset that I've actually opted for him, for him is a, a bit unusual in a lot of ways. I'm opting for Spore um, just so that I can take out any sort of threat that I might come across. And then instead of doing like a... Um, a sub-seater or something like that. I, I wanted to stick with the offensive front. So I have given him Seed Bomb, Sky Uppercut, and Brick Break. 
Sky Uppercut gives him a, a more powerful stab option than Brick Break, but I included Brick Break just in case I get into any situations where I'm going to be facing light screeners or reflect users or, you know, any other sort of thing like that, which is honestly starting to become a little more common, I'm noticing, in the competitive front. And Brick Break is going to allow me to not only get stab, and but it's going to punch through those screens that would otherwise be, you know, preventing me from doing the full amount of damage that I should be doing. Sure thing. The last two Pokemon on my list are, you know, a, a bit more unusual. Um, Lucario and Breloom are, are, you know, pretty OU Pokemon. And now we're going to get into Metacham and Poliwrath. Metacham is my gathering storm. And... The reason that I chose Metacham initially was because I was gonna go the special sweeper route with Metacham. And I'd never really looked at Metacham before. And when I was looking at it, I noticed it has the ability Pure Power, which literally doubles the power of its physical attacks. Nice. It's ridiculously crazy. So what I have done with Metacham is gone absolutely whole hog with with her. I've given her the wide lens because we are going to be using not only high jump kick, but also rock slide and then psycho cut and recover. Wow. (laughs) I mean, this Pokemon has some ridiculous potential. And with, with psycho cut, she's getting stab off of that. And then High Jump Kick and Rock Slide are both going to benefit from that wide lens, giving her a bit more accuracy on both of them. And with Recover, if she takes a couple of hits, she can just recover away that damage. Nice. It's it's intense. And then the last Pokemon on the team that I have chosen to include is Poliwrath, who is my bulky Tsunami. Poliwrath is really one of the only Pokemon on this team that I have opted to try to give as much staying power as possible, because that's just what he's built for. Poliwrath is running Water Absorb and Leftovers. And I've opted to go the Substitute Bulk Up route. And then on top of Substitute Bulk Up, his main stab attack is going to be water Waterfall. And I've also opted to give him Circle Throw. Circle throw is an interesting choice, I know, and the reason I did it was because I'm this team can't deal with a Pokemon that has gotten substantial setups. I mean, if for some reason I get into a situation and I am hitting a Pokemon for not very effective damage and I have to switch out and this Pokemon gets two boosts underneath them, it's pretty much curtains for this team because this mm-hmm. team doesn't have the defensive bulk to be able to take a couple of hits from a boosted Pokemon and then, you know, answer in kind, finishing it off. So what Poliwrath is here to do is to pop out and say, hey, circle throw, get out of here. <laughs> and and that stops that. So that that was my main reason for choosing circle throw over something like, I don't know, instead of like going the sub punch route. And, you know, that's, pretty much the team that is the one two punch <laughs> nice yeah i i like the idea for the polyrath but then i run a polyrath and i've never once been let down by him i mean he's just an incredibly solid pokemon who i think get who i think gets overlooked a lot and you know i 
it basically runs the same set as mine. Uh, oh, I, really? Yep, pretty much. I run the Substitute, Bulk Up, and Waterfall. I think I run Brick Break over Circle Throw. But the Polyrath, if you invest a lot into his HP and attack, and then have him sub and then bulk up a couple of times, makes him pretty much an unbreakable physical wall. I mean, there have been a lot of opponents that I've faced that really, you know, they would hit it for physical damage over and over and over, and that substitute still wouldn't break. So it's a really powerful it's a really powerful combination and a very powerful Pokemon for the lower tiers. The circle throw, I was actually kind of taken back about, but once you explained why you put it on there, you know, it makes perfect sense. I mean, and Polyrath can do it. I mean, if you ever need somebody to uh, knock out or, you know, to phase a booster who's being ready to ruin your day, Polyrath is a really good option for it. He can survive a surprising number of hits. Indeed. And, you know, I've been, I was actually really, really excited about this team because I, it's been a long time since I've planned a monotype team. And I don't know that I've ever planned a monotype team that was truly monotype. So, you know, trying to cover all of these Pokemon's weaknesses was much more difficult because I didn't have those, um, those wild cards to work with. Yeah. And, you know, for a pure monotype team that would have all of the weaknesses to to flying and psychic that you would have. I mean, you did a pretty good job at covering just about all your bases. Thank you. I'm I'm really I'm really kind of excited about about the one two punch. I might actually breed this one up and, and see how that goes nice. for me. Cuz I think I think that would be pretty intense. Yeah, it would. All right. Well, that actually kind of wraps up this month's double team segment. Uh, we would love to hear what you thought about these teams, especially since you guys are the ones that are voting on these. I know, right? Um, so, you know, let us know what you thought. You can send them in an email to the underground mailbag at gmail.com, or you can comment on the D20 Radio Network forums for this episode. On top of that, you guys should start thinking about which Pokemon you want for next month's Double Team segment, because that's going to start next week. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 87, Dugong. Dugong is a dual water ice type that is also known as the Sea Lion Pokemon. Its body is extremely streamlined, allowing it to swim at speeds up to 8 knots. Its fins are larger, stronger, and more fish-like than its pre-evolutions, and its long tail allows it to change swimming direction quickly when needed. It has a black nose, deep brown-black eyes, and two small tusks protruding from its upper jaw. Dugong is covered in a coat of sleek, thick, white fur to obscure it from the eyes of predators lurking in its naturally snowy habitat. It also has a layer of thick fat to store thermal energy and protects it from extremely cold winter air. 
Dugong naturally live in frigid seas, spending most of their days asleep in shallow waters or atop ice floes, and at night they do the majority of their hunting. Dugong are very active Pokemon, despite the freezing habitat they call home. Dugong's main appearance in the anime was in A Misty Mermaid, the episode that takes place at the Cerulean Gym. During the episode, a seal that belongs to Misty's sister evolves into a beautiful dugong. Lorelei actually owns a dugong in the Pokemon manga. Dugong has been featured on 10 TCG cards, none of which are currently tournament legal. Dugong is the first ice-type Pokemon listed in the National Pokedex. It is based on the real-life aquatic mammal, the dugong. This mammal is in the same scientific order as the manatee. These creatures live in warmer water climates, which conflicts with dugong's ice typing. Because of this, many people also draw similarities between dugong and the extinct stellar sea cow, a mammal from the same scientific order as the dugong and manatee that lived in much colder Arctic climates. Dugong's name is an obvious homage to the real-life dugong, though its spelling also includes dew, the natural phenomena which occurs when water vapor contacts with a colder surface. For a full look at video game strategy involving dugong, check out Natil's post on the Pokedex Project at pokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you could just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. Also, please join our discussion over on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. Please join us again next week when we will be discussing Pokemon the Movie 2000. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. podcast is protected under a creative commons non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only pokemon is a registered trademark of nintendo game freak for kids entertainment and wizards of the coast music used in the show comes courtesy of the oc remix album the missing note tracks these songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org All original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Natil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network.
Ah, bananas. Ah, bananas. Oh, appearance. <laughs> I, I suck. <laughs> Dugong's main appearing. All right. <laughs> science. <laughs> the customary 800 million eons of science. All right. Um, ah, bananas. <clears throat> Dugong's main appearing. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me, let me just fix that for you. <laughs> Wow, okay. <sighs> Dugong's... <laughs> we can do it, we can do it. Yeah, 